The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. And it is a fun week in technology. Very I'm, extra fun. Extra, extra fun. fun. We had a lots of fun this week, didn't we? Yeah, I've just been watching uh, Facebook twist in the wind. They've been before Congress. They've had major system outages. This is probably the worst week in Facebook history. History. Or the best week. Or the best week for <laughs> users because it wasn't available for a while. And we have something special. While Facebook was going through all of these problems, we know that Mark Zuckerberg was in his mansion singing a special song, which we're going to reveal to you later in the show. Okay. And uh, also, we're going to talk about another project relating to music. Someone has taken and turned protein structure into music. And every protein molecule with its twists and turns and sequences of, of um, molecules has a different musical song. And we're going to play a couple of those songs today, which is kind of, uh, will be kind of fun. Now, this week we are going to feature the man in technology who had the courage to sue Apple. This is the guy who started Epic Games, and they, of course, produced Fortnite, which has 300 million users, and they did not like the 30% cut that Apple was taking whenever accessories were being sold. And so they have sued Apple over this, and Apple kicked them off of the... Uh, Kicked them off of the uh, the app store. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Nehaw in Ashburn. Dear Tech, dear Doc and, uh, and Andrew, I've got a peculiar problem with text messages. Occasionally, when I send a text message to a friend, it arrives as an email with the return address, my phone number, at... VZWPIX.com. Now, they're with T-Mobile, and I'm with Verizon. Now, the email attachment actually contains my text message, and it arrived at the same time that I sent my text message. What's going on? Well, uh, Neha, VZWPIX is the legitimate multimedia messaging service uh, for pictures and video messages, which is provided by Verizon. It's basically an email gateway. So uh, if you take and you know somebody's phone number and they you know they have Verizon, you can say you can send an email to them, their email at, 
vzwpix.com. And when you send that email to them, it's turned into a text message. It shows up on their iPhone as a text message. So you're going right through the email gateway. So <clears throat> apparently what's happening, you're, since we're, you're changing carriage, you're going from the Verizon gateway to the T-Mobile gateway. Apparently there's a handoff problem. And when the T-Mobile gets it, it looks at the sort of the email address of the um, of the uh, uh, of that particular phone number, and it uh, and it uh, and then it basically converts it to an email for uh, for you. So I, it's basically a gateway error, and so it uh, so I I would check how how your uh, how your um, iMessage is being is configured. What return address you want on the iMessage? I would check configuration of iMessage, and so this could be a just a, a gateway error. I would also send another text message to see um, to see whether it happens again. See whether it's always if it happens every single time. On the other hand, there's something uh, uh, basically suspicious about it too. Uh, like if I ever received an email from vzw.pix. I would not open it because it turns out that <clears throat> VZWPIX email virus is a trick used by malicious actors to make users install malware on their devices. Now, in most cases, users receive a message from that email address, the phone number at VZWPIX.com, and they click on the attachment. Well, the, the attachment, instead of being the actual text message like you had, which was benign, it's actually uh, a zip file, and it has a uh, an exe format, an executable format. So once you click on it, the malware executes and installs on your computer. So and then you've got the um, uh, then you've got the malware, the vzwpix malware, and then you've got to work to get rid of it. So if I would get an email from that address, even though it might be legitimate because of a gateway error, I would not open it up. But I am sort of curious as to whether this is a gateway error or whether it's uh, it's it's malware. Right, but don't but don't click on it to find out. Oh, it, it was malware. Exactly. <laughs> don't do that. Apparently, their friend already clicked. They're already clicked on it, and it was the text message. Yeah. And so uh, it's kind of a mystery. And I could see where there would be a gateway error because you're handing off from Verizon to T-Mobile, and there may be a handoff error between the two systems. Yes. But that actually was a pretty interesting email, and uh, I went in and looked at the configurations on the on iMessage on on my iPhone, and I I don't see where you could configure it to to behave like this. So I'm a little bit baffled. If you if this happens, do some more experimentation and get back with us so we can like try to really figure it out. We got an email from Hawk and Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, I got an iPhone 11 Pro last year and love it. However, it's been locking up recently. I got to push a few buttons to free it up. It becomes annoying. Uh, what can I do to fix it, Hawk and Bowie, Maryland? Well, there are several things you can do to fix it, Hawk. Um, the f whenever anything um, uh, is not working properly, any computer, any mobile device, you reboot it. That's the first thing you do. You reboot it. So on the iPhone, you hit the volume up, volume down, and then power button. Hold the power button until you see that little Apple logo up here, and you've and you forced a hard reboot. That's the first thing that I would do. Now, the second thing I would look at on your iPhone is, are you running out of memory? I mean, if you're a big, big video taker, yeah, I mean, you could you could fill your whole iPhone up with videos. And 
And if you start running out of memory on your iPhone, you get erratic behavior. So if you want to check this, you can go to settings and then click on general and then click on phone storage. And it will tell you how much storage you're using and how much is not available. Now, if, if you're used all your storage, there are a couple of things you can do. One thing, there's, a, there's an option that says delete apps that you don't use. So it'll automatically just delete an app if you're not using it. Now, you can always reinstall it. That's actually a pretty good thing to do. A lot of times people just install apps, try them out, and then they forget about them and they take space. So I would just click delete apps that you don't use. The second thing you can do is you can optimize storage as it relates to pictures. You can store the thumbnail on your iPhone and you store the full picture in its full size on the iCloud. And that dramatically reduces the amount of space that uh, that your pictures take. That's also a, um, a a very good a very good option. So is that option under photos or what do you? Yeah, it's, where un do you find it's under photos, and yeah. it's like optimize and it's like optimized storage. Okay. They call it optimized storage. Yeah. And uh, because it's just a thumbnail, Th then if you want to actually see the photo, you click on it. It downloads that one photo so you can see it full resolution. But most mostly people just like to sort of. Th go through their photos, kind of look at them. So if you just look at them quickly and don't click on them, you're just looking at the thumbnail. And that saves a huge amount of Oh, that's what we're seeing in the first place then when we, as we look through the yeah, entire library of photos. You're just seeing the thumbnail. Photos. Yeah, okay. And then if you click on it to make it big, instead of pulling the big photo from your iPhone memory itself, you're pulling it from the iCloud. So right. there's a little delay. Right. But actually that is the best way to save memory when you're, when you're running out, as opposed to deleting all your pictures which is really a pain. Now, the third thing that could be is that sometimes uh, you need to have a, an update. So check your iPhone. So you want to go to uh, settings and then general and the software update. Make certain you've got the latest operating system on your iPhone. Also, um, apps have update. They're updated. So make certain your apps are updated. So you can go to the app store. You open up the app store and then, uh, and then you go to the, um, Go to the uh, go to the today. There's a down at the bottom is a tab called today. Click on today. That's what it did today, and that's the status today. And then up in the upper right hand corner, you'll see your picture up there. That's your account. So click on your picture in the upper right hand corner. It will open up your account, and any um, apps that are waiting to be updated, it will say apps queued for updating, waiting for update. Just click update all and just update all the apps. And then you know that everything's been updated. And then uh, the last thing you could might check on, could it be that you just added an app recently and after you added that app, it started hanging up? So delete that app. There's a bug in it or something? There, there'd be it's a not bug necessarily in malware it, yeah. or anything, but it could just be a bug in that app? It could just be a bug in that app, poorly written app, and then you downloaded it. And, and, and maybe they'll fix it with the next update, but you could just delete that app and not use it. Mm -hmm. So I hope, I mean, that's there's a few things you can try. I, I hope that works. And I mean, this, this should work unless you actually have a hardware problem, in which case none of this worked because I was doing only software solutions. Now... We got an email from Remy in Reedville. Dear Doc and Andrew, recently driver update notices are popping up on my Windows computer. Now, these messages are usually presented as a pop-up window or a message down in notifications. 
they they say that your machine is going to dange, run dangerously unless you update the driver, and we will update it for just a small fee. Um, what should I do about these? It, it, do I really need to update uh, my drivers? Remy and Reedville. And by the way, Remy says, what are drivers? Anyway, <laughs> well, drivers, Remy, are a thin layer of software between the hardware and the operating system. So the drivers got what they call an application programming interface, an API. So it responds to certain commands that come from the operating system. Now, if a vendor changes the hardware, they have to translate those commands from the operating system into different hardware commands, which are unique to the hardware. And that's what the device driver does. So the operating system does not have to know anything about the details of the hardware. It just knows talk to that piece of hardware using the standard application programming interface, so standardized commands, and the hardware will work, work properly. And then it's up to the hardware manufacturer to write a driver that translates the operating system API into the driver commands. That's what the device driver does. And so it's, these device drivers are written by the hardware manufacturers, not by Microsoft. Now, the fact is, you rarely have to update a device driver, really. Um, and, uh, be, and, and actually, no matter how many of these messages show up, these are probably scams. Because what they're trying to do, they're trying to scare you in, into, into getting a, an updated device driver. And, and device drivers from the manufacturer are free. You, you never have to pay for a device driver. More than likely... The device driver that they're going to install is going to have malware in it. And you're going to install malware on your computer and totally screw up your computer. And um, in any program where you, you know, you have driver update program that automatically, you, you've got no idea what's, what is, what is going to happen. Now, now, now it is true that, that occasionally you need to have an, a driver update, but, but here's the thing. It doesn't happen very often because look, once you bought your computer, the hardware on your computer is not really changing. So it's not like the manufacturer's changed anything. And so what they do, they'll have driver updates occasionally when they find errors in the device driver. And usually those driver updates occur, you know, soon after the, the, the hardware has been released. Now, the thing, if you're running, you're running a Windows machine on Windows 10 or 11, you'll probably never have to worry about the driver updates because Microsoft is configured to check all the manufacturers for driver updates, and if a driver needs updated, they just put it in the normal uh, update package. And frequently what they'll do is they'll make those driver updates optional. So like, like you might have an optional driver update for a video card. Well, if you got no problem with your video card, you might choose not to do it because why uh, just leave good enough alone. And so frequently the driver updates are are um, are are man are uh, optional and um, and but one thing is for sure the driver never costs any money at all. We got an email from Joe in Reston. I'll be visiting the UK for a six-week visit, and I need a laptop to use while I'm there in the hotel room. Now my laptop charger operates at 120 volts, and there's no switch to change it to 240. Is there any way I can use my existing laptop on the trip visit to UK? Well, Joe, here's the thing. You've got to look at that little power block for your laptop. Most power blocks on laptops have they, they have they have what input power requirements. And like I looked at mine this morning, and it says 110 to 240. 
So it, it will automatically switch between 110 and 240. So chances are your power block can handle 220 volts because that's what you're going to get. Where in. on the computer do you see that info, though? It's exactly. right on the on the the power block. There's you know in the in the you, you you've got a little power block that plugs into the uh, laptop. Okay. That power block, or, or what what Apple calls the cube. Yeah, the cube. Uh, yeah. That that goes from AC to DC. Okay. So you put AC into the cube, and you get you get like 10 volts or 10 or 12 volts DC out, maybe 10 or 12 volts DC out at five amps that goes into the laptop. Well, that little cube, so to speak, all, and all the Apple devices will take 110 to 220. If you, if you, and, and on that cube itself, it has the output parameters and the input parameters. So you look at input, and it's going to say 110 to 2, 240, uh, maybe 10 amps. It, it'll, that, that'll be the input. And so I checked my power cube on my laptop, and it was that. But, but now the uh, – so that if you don't have to do, use a converter – you still have to get a plug that matches the UK system. So you need a, a UK plug to a US plug. So, I mean, like there's an Anchor UK travel adapter, and it includes a, a plug as well as two USB ports, and it's like $12 on Amazon, so you can get that. Now, on the other hand, if you've got really an old laptop and it only does 120 and it doesn't do 240, you'll have to get a... Uh, a, a converter and there's you know Fullvo has a two 200 watt power step down converter goes from 220 to 110 and you can get that for around 40 bucks on Amazon uh, Fullvo 200 watt power step down now but let me warn you a lot of people will get those power step down converters and I'll try to use them for the hair dryers I mean not you but maybe your wife will, will use it for a hair dryer and it's a problem so you if you're going to use it for a hair dryer you got to get maybe a 2000 watt converter okay this is a 200 watt converter which which would work for a laptop but it wouldn't really work for a um, a hair dryer um, so um, i but i don't think you're going to need that joe just just check your power block and just get the get the plug adapter we got an email from Dennis in Pittsburgh dear doc and andrew i've been reading about windows 11 should i install it to see if there are any, or should I wait to see if there are any bugs? Love the podcast, Dennis in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Well, Windows 11, very apropos, Windows 11 arrived October 5th. Just this week. Just this week. And uh, and unlike the big Windows 10 upgrade that, that Microsoft made you install, basically, under, under threat of uh, being whipped by a wet noodle, <laughs> Microsoft is not encouraging everyone to upgrade at this time. In fact... Microsoft has recommended that many PC owners just you know, just not upgrade at all. Now, Windows 11 is a free upgrade, just like Windows 10, um, but it supports only recent hardware. You've got to have the TPM 2.0. That's the trusted platform module. That's a that's an encryption chip built into the system. It's got it's got to have UEFI with Secure Boot. That's Unified Extensible Firmware Interface. These are both new features that have been out there, you know, maybe five, six years. But it only supports the newest CPUs. You've got to get uh, the eighth generation of the Intel chip. You've got to get the AMD Zen 2 chips. The, the ARM PCs must have Qualcomm 7 or 8 series hardware. So, so these, are, these are the newer uh, chips that have, that have been out in the last three, three or four years. So if you have all that, uh, you, you can install Windows 11. Now, you can download a... Um, uh, a PC Health Check app to see whether your uh, <clears throat> computer supports Windows 11, 
and you just actually what what you want to do, you can just search for Get PC Health Check app. And it's um, I, I ha- I'll have the link that's just comp- complicated link here. I'll have the link on the uh, on the show outline. And, and it is an official Microsoft. The app itself is a Microsoft product, so you're yeah. not getting a third party involved in that. That's right. That, yeah. This is an official Microsoft link, and uh, so I downloaded it. I checked my laptop this morning. My CPU is too old. I was crushed. I mean, I had the TPM chip. I checked it. I had the. Uh, UEFI, I had everything, but I had the, uh, I didn't have, I had, uh, I didn't have the latest version of the Intel. What do you think would have happened if you had just tried installing Microsoft 11? What I, happens then? I don't think it would have let me do it, actually. It would just tell you, you'd get a message saying it can't, can't be done or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it would, it would actually check it before you did. So I have the seventh generation Intel chip and this requires the eighth generation. So I was crushed. And do you have a rough idea what was the cutoff, the date when, when you know, when? how old are your, is your computer to be too old for this? My computer, I checked it. Uh-huh. It's eight years old. Okay. That's too old. I think anything in the last four years might be okay. So, and there's no rush. Now, the nice thing is they're going to support Windows 10 until October 2025. So the thought is this. If your computer doesn't support it, don't worry about it. They're going to support Windows 10. By the time 2025 rolls around, you'll probably have replaced your computer just in a normal replacement cycle, and the new computer will support it. So there's really no rush to get Windows 11. And in fact, even if you can install it, if you can install Windows 11, I'd say don't do it because it's going to be kind of buggy. And really, you don't want to be an early adopter. You want to be a later adopter. So I wouldn't do it right now anyway. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Ah, and what lies ahead? Doc is about to tell us one of those tech success stories with a kid in his parents' basement. (laughs) That's how it always starts. That's next on Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. 
guest. Today we're going to feature Timothy Dean Sweeney. Tim Sweeney is a game programmer known as founder and CEO of Epic Games and as creator of the Unreal Engine, a game development platform. And most people know him as the man who started the video game Fortnite and the man who sued Apple. Now, Tim Sweeney was born in 1970. He's a local guy in Potomac, Maryland. At a young age, he tinkered. He took apart his lawnmower at five or six. They all do that. There's yeah. always a story about taking apart a, taking know, apart a an everyday object of some kind. That's right. Yeah. Now, the question is, did he put it together? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> wait a minute. Now, I, that miss the I could not find out. Okay. Oh, well, taking it apart. Taking that's... it apart is easier than putting it together. <laughs> yeah. So, We're going to assume he probably did it, otherwise we wouldn't tell the story. I hope and so. Later, he built his own go-kart. You know you know what? I, I got a feeling. He took the engine off the lawnmower. Oh, there you go. And There's put it a on the go-kart. And that his dad went out to sense. mow the grass. He said, hey, Tim, Yeah. there's no motor on the, on, on the lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Sweeney uh, would play Nintendo Super Mario Brothers. Because he wanted to figure out, it, not so much that he liked to play the games, he wanted to figure out how they worked. He's trying to figure out how they do, how the levels were organized. And, and he loved arcade games because he was always fascinated by, by how you progress through the game and the gaming strategy. At age 11, Sweeney visited his older brother. Oh, by the way, his parents bought him an Atari. He hated it. He hated that Atari. He just he thought it was a dorky computer, so he didn't he didn't really use it. At age eleven, Sweeney visited his older brother, uh, who was in a startup in California, and they and they he had access at his brother's shop at you know a whole bunch of of early IBM PCs, and he loved these IBM PCs. But he said they're so much easier to use than an old Atari. So he spent the week learning BASIC. Of course, that was built into the IBM PC, and. At home, he, in addition to his Atari, had a Commodore 64. But he says, man, that Commodore 64 was bad compared to the PC. He thought the PC was a dream. So finally, his, uh, his, um, his family upgraded, and they got an Apple II in the house. And that's when he started programming in earnest. <clears throat> Sweeney estimates that between age 11 and age 15, he spent about 10,000 hours teaching himself how to program. He went to bulletin boards online, read programming, you know, chats, and taught himself programming. Now, he did have to make money. So what he did, he's, he, mowed, he mowed grass because uh, they were in a wealthy, uh, wealthy neighborhood. So he mowed the, the, the lawns of his wealthy neighbors. But instead of just charging, hey, I'll, I'll do this thing for like $10, what he did, he found out how much the professional services were charging to mow the grass, and he charged 50%. So if the professional service was charging $100 to mow your lawn, he charged 50 <laughs> So he was actually, in terms of like a local lawn mowing service, probably one of the elite in terms of what he charged, and he made good money. Now, he... <clears throat> He wanted to actually set up a computer consulting business, so he formed a business when he was young at, called Com Potomac Computer Systems. Sounds really good, but it never took off. Didn't get much money. Didn't, didn't earn much money. He made more money mowing grass. In 1989, he, he went off to college, University of Maryland. 
He majored, uh, he majored in mechanical engineering, I guess, because they like to take stuff apart, put it together. But <clears throat> during his second year, he decided that he wanted to become a game developer. So he went all in on developing his own full-fledged game called ZZT. And, um, and basically it was, it wasn't graphics. It, it had, it, it basically was uh, alphanumeric and he would have like little smiley faces jumping around. So he, it was a game that, that, that did not have, you know, these detailed 3D graphics, but it had all the levels in it and you had to go through and do things in order to move from one level to the next. So he had the whole game strategy. Um, by, uh, by his, um, he was by the by his senior year. He, he ended up dropping out of college. By the way, he just sort of and he, another common theme. Yeah, by the he, way. he ended up dropping out of college. He was only one credit short of uh, of graduating, but he dropped out anyway. I mean, probably his grades weren't that good. I think he just devoted himself to uh, to developing this game. And what he did, he um, he he basically. Um, he he would he would write this game and then he would um, and then he would let his friends use it for free. He would let people use it and he would get feedback and so he would get user feedback to make the game better and better and better. So um, he dropped out of school because he decided I, I got to get a real business here. He took his he had four thousand dollars in savings from mowing lawns. He he sunk all of that money in his business at age twenty and he founded Epic. Originally it was called Epic Mega games. He just changed the name of Potomac Computer Systems to Epic Mega Games. And he called it Epic Mega Games because he wanted to make it sound really big. Now later, he just shortened the name to Epic Games. And he, he started this company in his basement. Now he used the shareware model to sell ZZT. He released ZZT in 1991. See, he started college in 1989 and he's he released ZZT in 1991, and he started selling it using a shareware model where you basically share it, and then people pay you what they want. He was earning about $100 a day. Well, what he if they was, decide to pay a penny? Huh? If, if it's one cent, if you would take the one cent, and it, Whatever it would be they do, or, or, they, or they would pay nothing. And But people liked the game, and so he was earning about $100 a day. And... Uh, and he would, uh, you know, he'd, he'd send out discs on the, uh, this was 1991, you know, this, this was before downloads. He would, people would order it uh, and then he would send out a disc and, uh, and it was, you know, it was shareware. And, um, but making $100 a day, he was making enough money that he could give up his lawnmower business. So then it replaced the lawnmower business and he had spending money. Now, following ZZT, which was not a graphical that display it was all alphanumerics. Uh, he started on his next game, which was called Jill of the Jungle, and and he realized he didn't have the skill set to to do these beautiful graphics and animations. So he hired four other people, and he was making enough money selling ZZT that he could bring these other people on board for you know probably a small salary, and he started building the business. Uh, he realized he needed some kind of business partner, somebody that, you know, because he was like a programmer. He didn't want to run the business and, you know, do the billings and keep kept, keep track of the money. So he hired Mark Rain, who'd just been fired by ID Software. So he hired Mark Rain to sort of be the business manager. And in 1998, he started getting some traction. They released Unreal, which was a PC game that allowed users to play together on on 
separate computer. So it was a multi-user So game. that's a big step forward there. That was a huge step forward. So he had his first game in 91 and the second game in 1998. And Unreal had graphics in it. It had very, very sophisticated graphics. So it had very detailed graphics. And he created the graphics, the 3D graphics technology. He put in uh, a program which he called the Unreal Engine. And the Unreal Engine was basically the platform upon which they built the game Unreal. Now, he did something very clever back then. This Unreal Engine was really a powerful graphics engine, so he licensed it to other game developers, which was really clever. He started making money on the Unreal Engine, and other game developers started making games using that engine. That was a clever, clever move. And that turned out to be a real uh, moneymaker for him. Now, with the success of the Unreal game, he relocated to North Carolina in 1999. This was a year after he had released Unreal. And, uh, and then he started, and then in 2006, he released his next big series, The Gears of War. You see, it, if you look at it, it takes about six years to, to basically develop a new game. I mean, there's a, there's a, big, there, there's a, there's a big delay because there's a lot of work that goes into developing the graphics. And this was built specifically for Microsoft Xbox 360. The Gears of War franchise sold over 22 million units and made over $1 billion in revenue. So he was in the money at this point down there in North Carolina. Um, he, uh, and, and Microsoft ended up buying Gears of War and the, and the whole franchise. There were about six games in the franchise, the Gears of War franchise. He bought the whole, Microsoft bought the whole ball of wax for an undeclosed amount of money. So so he had some money, and then he started working on the next game. They worked on Shadow Complex. They worked on Infinity Blade series. Both were role-playing fighting games set in the past and in futuristic periods. Uh, now, then he started working in 2011. He started working on Fortnite. That was a huge, huge development cost, and he was running short of cash. So he managed in 2013 to get the Chinese company Tencent to invest $330 million into Epic Games for a 40% stake. I mean, that's a big stake in, the, in, in Epic. So he sold 40% of the company to a Chinese company to get enough money to develop Fortnite. This was back in 2013. In 2015... He came up with a different business model for the Unreal Engine, and this was even more clever. He gave away the Unreal Engine for free to developers, but then when they sold the game, he got a cut. That was even smarter, because if somebody writes really a popular game and you get a cut of that popular game, you're going to make more money. So now the Unreal Engine is probably used by 80% of the game developers, and he's getting a cut of all of those the games when they're sold. Now, remember, he started working on Fortnite in 2011, sort of ran low on cash. In 2013, got an infusion of cash from the Chinese company Tencent. And then in 2017, six years later, he released Fortnite Battle Royale. Now, that's basically a survival game. Uh, he sort of got away from the first-person shooters. I don't like first-person shooter games. I've only played one, Doom, long, long time ago. <laughs> 
And I tell you, I just don't like going around and sh- shooting people. I mean, it just, it, it's not something I like. I, I like more puzzle games, survivor games. You've got to figure stuff out. So he went to this Fortnite. He released this Fortnite Battle Royale. And this was a survival game. And then the, and you have to survive. And the trick is, if you make the right choices, you can survive a long time. Now, the game is free, but then you can, uh, you can basically... Um, uh, and you collect resources you go around, and you but you can buy accessories like you can buy a new outfit, you can buy a new skin. So so he makes money by by selling accessories. Now this particular game was a worldwide success, and this totally changed Epic Games. Within three four months, he had 200 million users across seven different gaming platforms. 200 million users within a few months. By the end of 2017, he had 400 million registered users. And the company made over $4 billion selling accessories since its launch in 2017. And, they, and they, they, they're selling skins and accessories. Now, here's the problem that, uh, that he had, that Tim Sweeney had. Every time he sold an accessory in, um, in Fortnite, because... Fortnite was distributed on the Apple from the Apple App Store. Apple would take a 30% cut. It was on the Apple Google Play Store. Google would take a 30% cut. So of that $4 billion in revenue that he's got that he got for, since the Fortnite was launched, 30% of it was paid to commission to Apple and Google. I didn't realize those commissions are so high. 30%. But, yeah. And 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 these guys don't give any choice. You don't like it? Leave. So what he did, he broke the rules of the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store, and he created a way for people to buy the accessories, and the money would go directly to Epic Games and bypass the game store. Then once Google discovered that in Apple, and they discovered it in literally one day, they kicked them off the site. I mean, he was planning to do that, actually. This was back in August of 2020. They kicked them off the site the next day. And the next day, Epic Games sued Apple and Google over uh, antitrust. They said, look, this is antitrust. These are exorbitant things, prices you're charging. It's not fair. We should be able to to sell outside of this. And uh, immediately... um, Fortnite was not distributed by either Google or Apple, so they had their current user base, but uh, but they couldn't get any more users, and um, and so this battle, this court case is going on and on. And last month, they they um, the judge came out with the court case, and he said, okay, uh, the app stores are really not um, a violation of antitrust because you need an app store to have secure apps. However, it is not proper that Apple and Google will not let you have a separate pay channel when you get in-app purchases. So Apple won sort of the antitrust side of the case, but Epic Games won the outside purchase channel. And so it's, it's a mixed bag. Now, both Apple and Epic have appealed this thing because neither one of them were happy. They because it was on. They only got half a half a loaf. Also, 
the judge ordered uh, Epic to pay Google uh, to pay um, Apple six million dollars for lost revenue that for things that they'd sold outside of the Apple ecosystem. So, uh, but they both appealed it, and it's going to be interesting how this thing works out. Apple has already started for developers who earn less than a uh, than a million dollars a year. It's Apple has reduced the commission to fifteen percent. So they are already responding. I, I think in the end, Apple's going to have to have to drop down what they're charging. I, I think it is highway robbery. And I predict this ruling will stand just the way it is because it makes perfect sense. It's Solomonic. I mean, yeah. they really did have a right to protect their apps, yep. but they don't have a right to prevent you from making money in other ways. That's a perfect decision as far as I can see. Yeah. I yeah. think it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a lot. And the judge took a while for him to come out with that decision, but I think it, I think it was well – well-reasoned. So I think that will stand. But Apple is not allowing Fortnite on the, uh, back on the App Store until all the appeals are exhausted. Now, here's the thing. Epic has generated $5.1 billion in revenue just in 2020. Now, in 2021, they raised more money. They raised a, they raised a billion dollars uh, at, a, at a valuation of $28 billion. So, so Epic Games is, worth, is valued at $28 billion. Now, Sweeney's made a lot of money. Now, he's really in, interested in the conservation. He, for instance, um, uh, donated $15 million to protect 7,000 acres of forests in western North Carolina. So he's in buying up forest land in North Carolina and basically giving it over to the, uh, to the government so it can be protected. So he's really taking his money and doing good things with it. Now, in his free time, Sweeney likes to program, of course, and go hiking. He loves to hike. That's why he's down in North Carolina. So he, um, he, he likes to hike off the beaten path. He likes to hike off the trail to discover things that nobody else has seen. That's what he likes to see. Now, he wears a T-shirt to the office and cargo pants. And his favorite food, he has it every day, Bojangles fried chicken. Did, have you ever? I've never been to a Bojangles fried chicken. Oh, it's have good. You? Yeah, it's really good. I what, enjoy it. Yeah. Is it just? But it's in, down it, south. Yeah, it's down south. Kind of. I, it's harder to find in this part of the country. I've never seen a boat, but that's his favorite food, go-to food. Now, as of April 2021, his net worth is 7.4 billion dollars, but the Bloomberg estimates his worth at 9.4 billion. So there you go, a guy that dropped out of college, started a business in his. Parents' basement with $400 is now worth nearly $10 billion. Well, pour yourself a coffee and pull up a chair because we're about to hear Doc's take on what's behind Tim Sweeney's success. Observations from the Faculty Lounge next on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for observations from the faculty lounge. Now, Tim Sweeney has a particular success story, and you can look at how he has uh, built his business, and you can see it. The first key element to Tim Sweeney is that he learns from user experience. He uses the user experience, people who are using his games, A, to improve the games, and B, to market the games. Sweeney has focused everything on the gaming experience, and his marketing tactics have always relied primarily on word of mouth, buzz, and social sharing. His games are revered by users across generations, from little kids to baby boomers. He makes them interesting and engaging, and he does that by getting feedback from the users. The second thing that he focuses on is the well-being of his team. In interviews, Sweeney frequently lavishes praise and credit on his team. Like, I was listening to an interview he gave on Fortnite. He said, I want, you, I want to let you guys know, I didn't write a single line of Fortnite code. This was developed by my team. They developed it. They're the creative genius behind Fortnite. He never takes credit for what his team does. He often talks about hiring people with passion and holding them up as the reason for the success of his company. He believes that if you take care of your team and inspire them, that reverence for care translates into more users for your products. The third thing that he did that was very clever, he developed a software development kit. That's the Unreal Engine. He developed from day one, <clears throat> he believed that he should share his software development kits because he wanted to make the gaming industry better. So he wasn't sitting here like trying to beat his competition to a pulp. He wanted to help them make better games because he felt if the gaming industry as a whole made better games, more people would use games and everybody's boat would rise. So he developed software development kits and it enabled developers to create more games. Uh, this Unreal Engine, initially he licensed it, and then he came up with a, uh, with a better model. He just gave it away for free, and then he got a cut of, of whatever the games could get. But I tell you, he doesn't get any um, – he doesn't get 30%. He, I was reading where he – like he also has an app store where he sells games, but he, he believes he should only get about 12%. So whenever he sells anything or, or takes a cut, it's around 12%. It's not this exorbitant 30% that Steve Jobs and Apple wanted to take. 
And the last thing he's uh, he's railed against. Well, I really I sort of got into this. He's railed against these walled gardens where where they charge the thirty percent. Yeah, and so he's he's basically his his games only get twelve percent. So he 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 just tries to be um, you know he tries to be a fair guy, helping people. Uh, so it's win win. He makes a little bit, and his developers make a little bit. So with that philosophy, taking care of his team, taking care of his competitors making games that users love, this guy has created enormous success. So should we go directly to the next thing or take a break? I think we should just go to the next thing. Okay. Let's go to the next thing. You know, Did you realize that Queen Elizabeth has her favorite song? Yeah, what could it be? What would it be, huh? Yeah, let's hear Whoa! <laughs> It's our favorite song, too, by the way, here at Tech Talk. Uh, We can't get enough of this song. (laughs) So Queen Elizabeth goes around Windsor Castle singing Dancing Queen. Oh, wow. She absolutely loves that song. That is her favorite song. Uh, does she know all the words? She know yeah, all the words? Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Does she I think it's about her? Song. Does she think it's about her maybe? Huh? She does. She thinks oh, it's about no. her. But, okay. but this is the thing. Did you realize that Mark Zuckerberg has his favorite song? Oh, and as no. he goes around his mansion, this is what he sings. Last week, this is what he was singing. Yeah, here he goes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's he's got eyes. He yeah. has digital eyes on everything. I I can see Mark Zuckerberg singing this. <laughs> Assuming he has a voice for it, I don't know. I'll be watching you, yeah, and Facebook is that. watching oh, you definitely. everywhere. Yeah, that's the business model right there. That is yeah. the business model. They make money yeah. on all your data. Yeah, and, and this week. The reason I brought that uh, up... They had a wonderful week, didn't they? They had a wonderful week. And yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg can only console himself by singing his theme song this week because Facebook just had the worst week in their history. Now, first of all, we had a, um, a whistleblower who released internal documents, internal Facebook documents to the Wall Street Journal, and they showed that Facebook knowingly encourages anger, derisiveness on its platform, despite real-world and political consequences. And why do they do that? They do it because they want people to stay on the site. If people are angry, arguing with each other, they stay on the site longer. Facebook can deliver more ads and make more money. So if people aren't angry about something, they'll go off to do the rest of their you know things in the day. So they want to track engagement. They use AI to decide what gives the maximum engagement, and it turns out that anger and division give the most engagement and they make the most it, it's money. It's a sad commentary on the human condition, but it's true. We, we react a lot more when we're angry about something than when we like something. When we like something, we're rarely motivated to you know say That's, that. But when we're angry, boy, we can't help ourselves. We just and, and so they just stimulate that, especially with the news feeds, because what they do— they, they detect what makes you angry, and they give you more of it. 
They say, oh, that that really that really makes <laughs> they, you angry. Boom, keep, boom, boom. They just keep poking you in the eye, don't they? And you can't you can't get away from it. <laughs> so then, after that was released, uh, the uh, the whistleblower who released it testified before Congress, and then the next day, Facebook had to testify. It was a bad week, but it was even worse than that for Facebook. On Monday, all their servers went down. They had an unexpected outage, which was the longest outage since 2008. It took down all the apps, all the services. People from around the globe were unable to get into Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus, any other Facebook-owned platforms during the outage. And because many people log into third-party apps using a Facebook login, they they couldn't get into their third-party app either because Facebook was down. So what happened? Facebook and all of its domains were pulled from the global routing tables, effectively blocking anyone from connecting to the company's servers. Facebook.com disappeared from the Internet. It even showed up as for sale on one website. That's interesting. It was gone. Now, now Facebook said it was just a routine maintenance job that, that brought down their registrar system and basically removed Facebook from the face of, uh, of, of the world. And basically, when they did the routine maintenance, the command unintentionally took down all connections in the backbone network, effectively disconnecting Facebook data centers globally. Now, the network could no longer respond to DNS queries, making them totally inaccessible. Now, here was the problem. Facebook's entire security system logged into Facebook.com. It was all linked with the Facebook ecosystem. So... When it went down, all the security devices where they do to get into the data center were inaccessible. They, they couldn't open up the doors. They couldn't get into the servers because they needed to have access to Facebook. And we're saying this literally. They literally could not open the door they could to not, the place that has the servers. That's right. And, so, and in order to go in and fix, see the servers were disconnected, so they, they, they couldn't remotely access them. They had to physically go in and get on the keyboard access them. They couldn't get in there. Because all the security systems were tied to Facebook.com. So how did they get in, Doc? They, had to, they actually had to go in there with a hacksaw and cut their way in. <laughs> so back to the 20th century with that one. I mean, all the, the, all the smart cards, the security, none of that worked. So these guys were in there. They had to cut into the data center in order to get in there to fix it. I mean, this was like, I guess, a comedy of errors, if you will. Yeah. And they, uh, but they finally managed to get in. And then they, they brought everything up slowly, but the Facebook system was down for six hours. And then, and then what happened, you know, a lot of people were sort of getting fed up with WhatsApp. That's an encrypted messaging service. And they're switching over to Telegram and Signal, which honor your privacy more than a, a Facebook product does. And so there were literally millions of people signing up for Telegram and Signal during this downtime, just switching over so it was a, it was a long we don't know term. if they've lost them for good though or if they'll just come back to WhatsApp anyway well if, if they if they uh if they get good service from telegram and signal they may stay now the problem is like if you go to India everybody use whatsapp so it's yeah. hard it's hard it's to get very popular I feel like people will bounce right back to it as yeah soon as it's available. when you're for in India everybody will go also because not all your friends have moved over either so you know you probably right. yeah if your friends are still back on whatsapp you're going to rejoin that's right yeah. and then 
as as though if, if for the week could even get worse. On Friday, <laughs> they had a second outage this week. I didn't hear that. Just yesterday. Just yesterday. I, I wasn't paying attention. But it wasn't. It wasn't a six-hour outage. Oh, so wow. this was the worst day of the week. Oh, and, my and, gosh. And oh, let's my just gosh. let's listen again to what Mark Zuckerberg was singing during this entire week. Oh, he's got that memorized. Yeah. He's got a good voice, too. He sounds just like Sting, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Well, last week, uh, we talked about music, of course. We talked about Beethoven's Tenth Symphony. I didn't really have enough time to explain it. That he, he, Beethoven got a, um, a contract to write the Ninth and Tenth Symphony. He finished the Ninth Symphony, and he was in the middle of writing the Tenth Symphony when he died. So it was never finished. Now, what Beethoven does when he writes a movement, he'll put a series of like four to eight notes as sort of the basis, and then it just does variations on those notes. Uh, variations of on those notes with different instruments, and he sort of layers them to create the whole movement. And so he, he has a certain formula when he creates it. So we had, a, he had, they had his notebook, so they knew the notes that he was planning for the different movements in the symphony. And so musicologists got together, <clears throat> and they and they put them in the right order, because they didn't know what order to put them. So they put them in an order so it made sense and told a story musically. And then they used artificial intelligence to take those notes and do variations and layer them. And they created the full movement using AI based on all the training of the AI algorithms as they looked back on all of his other symphonies. Then what they did, they had to link the movements together. And Beethoven had a particular way to link them together. And AI, yet again, went back and looked at all of his things, and they linked them all together using AI to create the 10th symphony. Let's see how that yeah, sounds well, again. Yeah, well, the Tech Talk Radio Symphony Orchestra is still uh, rehearsing for the world debut. Okay. And so let's listen in on next door here. What are they doing here? Let's hear. Oh, sounds very, yeah. very regal, very regal. Very grand, very Beethoven, really. Yeah, this was created by AI. Yeah. I mean, this is just fantastic. Get you moving in the morning, doesn't it? It, it really does. Yeah, it rouses the spirit. So you know what's what's going to happen, though? This is, uh, I think I'll put off the music of protein till next week. Oh, I know, I know. I don't yeah, think, yeah, we, we had the pianist standing so, by. and uh, So here's, here's the thing with uh, what's going to happen, though. Eventually, we don't know... Should we credit music to an AI program or to a person? Yeah. I mean, we're getting to the point where AI can create things, and then so who's going to hold the trademark? Who's going to hold the patent? That's always a thing. And what they're saying is that um, it's the person who created the program who holds the patent, yeah. that AI is not a person, so they cannot hold it. Listen, um, we're almost out yeah, of time. We love your time, emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to www.stratford.edu. Check out our programs and say you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.